in the midst of worship this morning, in talking about the bigness of God, there, there's this reality about how short life is and, and really how fragile it is. Um, this past week, two of my kids were able to come up. Um, we, we get to move into our house in two weeks. So two weeks from today, I'll be able to say, hey, we're moved in and it's great. In the meantime, we're, we're living at our cottage up on Crystal Lake, north of Carson City, and two of our kids came up because this is a week that we had set aside a long time ago to do family vacation up there. We got a new inflatable this week to pull behind the boat, which was great fun, and uh, so my, my boys and one of their friends, my daughter and her husband, we did all that kind of thing, and you know, when you're driving the boat, you try and dump them and make it as much fun as possible. And sometimes when I'm doing that, I think, what happens if they clunk heads? That would be a really bad thing. Um, and, and two things happened this week that just reminded me again of how short life is. The first is that Alex Lance, who's a part of the body here at North Point, he was a part of the Ecuador team um, uh, that went this summer. Uh, Alex was with a friend that was also on the Ecuador team um, out on the water on a jet ski and jet ski and boat collided. Um, knocked Alex out and actually broke uh, a part of his pelvis, I think. Uh, he's been in the hospital, just got a message after first service that, um, that he's going to be released from the hospital today. But uh, yeah, very cool. But, but just the, you know, the reality of, in an instant, how everything can change. Um, we're going to pray for Alex, for his mom, Dorcas, in just a second. Um, the other situation happened on Friday. A guy that works for Jeff Rouse named Frank was here at church last Sunday, second service, very first time, just really kind of in the beginning stages of trying to figure out a relationship with God. And um, Friday he was working uh, for Jeff. He was on top of a 32-foot ladder, hit a power line with a piece of equipment, knocked him off the ladder. He fell 30 feet. He broke two bones in his neck and back. Um, had a concussion, broken arm, and the crazy thing is, he's going to be okay. Um, you know, no, he, yeah, another God thing. Um, they replaced one of the bones in his spine with a titanium piece, and um, the other piece is is just going to heal. No paralysis, no stuff. Um, but again, a reminder, man, in a second, anything can change, and so you got to focus on the stuff that really matters. Um, let's let's pray for them right now. Um, God, we come to you. You are the God of the universe. You're the God who knows every part of our bodies, every aspect of our lives. Lord, um, we're reminded that you are the one who sustains us with every breath. Um, Father, as a body, we come to you right now on behalf of Alex and uh, his mom, Dorcas, and we ask that you just give him peace and that you would, um, as Alex is released, that you would, that you would heal his body quickly and that, God, out of this, uh, out of this situation, out of this accident, that there might be incredible conversations about you for him, for us as a church. Um, God, open up doors that would have never um, been opened before and take something that could have been tragedy and use it for your glory. Um, God, we ask that you be with Frank. Lord, uh, none of us really know him, know much about him at all. Um, But God, I thank you for protecting him. I thank you for protecting his brain and his back, 
And um, Lord, I ask that out of this situation that you would draw him to you and that there would be all kinds of conversations with his family, with people that he works with, that would have you at the center of it. And that, God, out of this situation, that you would draw people to you. Um, God, we thank you that you are the God who sustains, that you're the God who loves us, that you're the God who protects us. And um, we put ourselves in your hands by our choice, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have been uh, talking the last few weeks about charting the course, about who we are as a church, what that looks like. Uh, You are all on this kind of road trip together, and we've been talking about um, things that we expect, things that we want to happen for anybody who calls North Point home. So if North Point is where you're growing, where God is working in your life, we've talked about, uh, about three things that are big things uh, about expectations for us as a church. The first is what? That if you're part of North Point, we expect you to... I heard somebody say it and you're allowed. <laughs> worship! That's right. Worship. We're allowed to worship. Um, we want people to be committed to worship, to corporate worship on Sunday mornings, but to worship on a 24-7, that it's a natural expression of who we are in our walk with Jesus, that we worship all the time. Last week we talked about being connected. That's right, somebody said it, everyone say connect. Connect, there we go. Um, That we be connected and how critical it is to be in relationship with other people who are following Jesus because life change happens in the context of relationships. Rarely does God just dump life change on us. He does sometimes, but most of the time it happens because we've got somebody speaking into our lives, somebody who's teaching us, somebody who's helping us be accountable, somebody that we're walking through life with. And uh, that's why it's so important to be connected in a life group, to be connected with some other people in maybe an accountability group or some people who are following Jesus that can help you make sure that you stay on the right path. Today we're talking about that third commitment. It's it's the the commitment to serve. Uh, that's, that's where we are today. And, and let me just say, if, if you're new, if today's your first time and you hear, okay, we're going to talk about serving today, uh, if, it's, if maybe you're one of the folks that are not here very often, we're glad that you're here today, um, but you're thinking, oh, I stepped into the message on service. Or maybe you're just cynical and you're thinking, Oh, he's talking about service. That, you know what that means. That means we need more, more people working in the nursery, more people doing student ministry, more people working on the finance team. We need some people to pull weeds and work outside and clean the building and paint and all that stuff. And here's what I got to tell you. This is only my fifth week, and I don't know what we need. So uh, please know that this message is not about need except the personal need that we have. To serve. We're going to look at some scripture in just a second. And I think when you read through those scriptures, you'll have this overwhelming sense that God doesn't call us to sit. God doesn't call us to stand on the sidelines. He calls us to engage and to serve in some really direct and powerful and dynamic ways. And um, I trust the Holy Spirit's going to bring some of those things uh, to your mind. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and take those out. Um, I said this first service, and, and let me just say this. If you don't have a Bible, you're allowed to take the one that's on the back of the pew in front of you and take it home. Um, we will replace it um, happily. Uh, it's really good to have your own copy of Scripture because um, 
Scripture is how God has revealed himself to us. That's how we know who he is, to read his story from the beginning of time, from the beginning of creation. And when you have your own copy of Scripture, it becomes really easy at that point to be able to say, oh, that's what that means, and to write some notes in. You begin, if you're a visual learner like me, to think, oh, yeah, that's on the right side of the page up towards the top. We read that a few weeks ago. Um, So make sure that you have a copy of Scripture. We're going to get there. Why is it important to serve? Because very clearly Scripture teaches it. Let me just um, run through through some things. Um, Just a, a principle in terms of introduction. Recognize that nothing we have is ours. Uh, if, you've, if you've got a bulletin and taken notes, write that down. Nothing we have is ours. The food that we eat, it's not ours. We didn't create it. We may have bought it, but it's not ours. The clothes that we wear, they're not ours. The money that we make, it's not ours. The stuff that we fill our houses or our pods with, um, that's not ours. Because what happens when we die? We don't take any of that stuff with us. It's not ours. It's only loaned to us for a really short time. And so when we talk about service, the the concept that none of what we have is ours, our time is not ours. If you think about it, the only time that we have is what God gives us. Giving it back to God, giving our resources, our time, our talent, our treasure, the stuff that we have, um, our clothes, all that... Giving those back to God is not a way that we gain salvation. It's not so that God will say, oh, Rick's really good. He did X, Y, Z. We give it as a response to who God is, to his interaction in our lives. When we understand how much he loves us, it's a natural thing for us to serve and to give back. Um, Paul said of the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, I don't have this up front, but it says, you've been bought with a price. You are not your own. Get a hold of that, man. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Um, Galatians, uh, Galatians chapter 5 says, serve one another in love. Galatians 5.13, serve one another in love. Uh, the psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's and everything that's in it, everything that's here is God's. It's not ours. Um, and, and there's this principle that I think is critical as we begin to look at Scripture in just a second in Matthew 16. Um, we, I said it last week, we live in a culture that's all about us. We live for us. Jesus said this, this in Matthew 16. He said, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. And whoever, whoever is willing to lose his life for my sake will find it. Understand that that is completely contradictory to the culture that we live in because our culture says, go for it, do everything that you can for you. And Jesus said, when you expend yourself, when you give yourself away, when you give your life up, that's the only way that you'll really find yourself. Uh, Turn to Matthew chapter 10. And Jesus says something very directly, just as as a foundational scripture, relative to the whole service idea. Beginning in in verse 42 of Matthew 10, Jesus said this, Whoever gives one of the little ones even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Whoever gives one of the little ones even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple, 
I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. There's this principle that Jesus taught that when we do things in his name, that, uh, that amazing things happen. Um, I got here about the middle of July, and I, since the time I arrived, I heard about this huge event this weekend, the DeWitt Ox Roast. We came down and went to the Ox Roast Festival yesterday and experienced our very first one. What an incredible time. It was fun to go down. We saw some people from church. We saw the rides, did the stuff, got the elephant ears, you know, did, did that whole thing. And you know what happened as we were leaving? I'm, you know, I'm walking around getting hot. It was the middle of the afternoon. Right before we left, somebody from Redeemer Church gave me a bottle of water, a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. That's very cool isn't it? That's a very literal, literal expression of what Jesus said um, in Matthew's gospel. Whoever gives a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, he won't lose his reward. We've got to figure out what it looks like for us to give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. Sometimes it's a literal bottle of water, but a lot of times it's something else in the name of Jesus. For us as a church, or for us as individuals, it's very easy to begin to serve and to serve the community, to serve the people around us, and to do it because, oh, you know what, I just like doing that. And we serve, but don't do it in Jesus' name. We miss something tremendously when we serve not in the name of Jesus. God calls us to serve in Jesus' name and to, and to let that be an expression of, of our relationship with him. Turn to Matthew 25. And this is a scripture that every time I read it, it's tremendously sobering. It's a long passage of scripture. But, but it's very powerful because Jesus paints this concept of how we relate to the world around us in very stark terms, in eternal terms. Beginning at verse 31, Jesus says this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Cool picture. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't welcome me. 
naked and you didn't clothe me, sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you didn't do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You know, we talk about being the hands and feet of Jesus, and I think it ties directly into that passage from Matthew 25. There's, there is this expression that's clear that, that when we interact with the world around us, to the least of these, we do it to Jesus. That's, that's sobering for us because we live in a pretty insulated world. Uh, this past week, we enrolled, we took Micah to the high school, to DeWitt High School, to start the process of enrollment there, um, which is a really cool thing, neat to, neat to see DeWitt High School and go through the process of that, meeting with the vice principal, and, um, and he's, we're talking about all kinds of stuff. He said, do you have any questions? And one of my questions was, I said, how many kids here, I'm, I'm thinking about today's message, and I said, how many kids at DeWitt are on reduced or free lunch program. That's, you know, you're available for that if, you're, if your family lives below the poverty level. How, how many kids at DeWitt? Because I'm thinking, oh, maybe there's a chance for us as a church to, to minister in that way. And he said, well, he said, um, single digits. Less than 10 people. Um, we live in an unbelievable, unbelievably affluent area. We don't interact with people. We don't see people on a regular basis that are hungry, that, um, that, that are naked, that don't have clothes, people that don't have the stuff of life. And so we've got to figure out how to be intentional in doing those things. When's the last time that you went to a prison? Um, you know, Jesus is real clear about that. And that's not something that we typically do because that's not safe. You know, that's not supposed to be safe. We've got to figure out what God has called us to do and then respond. Um, again, if, if you're here for the first time or if you're trying to figure out what your relationship with, with God is, you all know the answer to this question. What, what do most people that aren't involved in a church say? I don't go to church. I love God. I, I believe in God. But I don't go to church because the church is full of hypocrites. You know what? Um, that, that's, as a, as a pastor, that rips at my heart. As a Christian, that rips at my heart. But you know what? It's true. The church is full of hypocrites. None of us live consistently. We live out our faith with Jesus con- consistently 24-7. None of us do. I don't. And so the church is full of hypocrites. So for me, it's really helpful to look at what Scripture says to say, okay, when you, when, you, when you reduce what it means to follow Jesus to some basic kinds of things, what's that look like? And it takes me to James chapter 1. Um, I'm going to quote it from a, from a different passage because it's a verse I memorized a long time ago. James chapter 1 says this, Pure and undefiled religion is this, to visit widows and care for orphans in their distress. If we want to change the perception of the church, 
in the world around us. Jesus said, take care of widows, take care of orphans. When we begin to serve in that way, all of a sudden, it's, oh yeah, that's the church that really lives out what it means to follow Jesus. That's, that's the kind of church I want to be a, a part of. Why is it important to serve? It's, it's, it's clear because Scripture teaches it. Um, what's it look like if we become a church that is the hands and feet of Jesus? About uh, 12, 15 years ago, a guy named Robert Lewis wrote a book. Uh, he was a pastor at a church in Arkansas. And they, they, um, they wrestled with this question, what would happen if the doors to our church shut and we were no more, would anyone in our community notice? And their conclusion was that no one would care. If, if that church ceased to exist, that nobody would care. The result of that was that they began to say, we want to be a church that makes a difference in the community in the name of Jesus. We want to be a church that begins to look outside of ourselves. He wrote a book called The Church of the Irresistible Influence. Um, that's, that's what it means to, to, to serve out into the world. I've got a friend I went to school with that's a pastor in, um, in Colorado, in Longmont, Colorado. His name is Rick Russaw. Um, he's, he's known as the pastor of the externally focused church. They're a church that all of their life groups, everything that they do is designed to minister to the community, to live out the love of Jesus, loving on the community. And so two years ago when the floods came out in Colorado, their church was on the front line in that area, helping people who lost their homes find housing, um, help, helping people who lost all their stuff have clothes and have possessions again. That's what it looks like to be a church that, that looks outside of ourselves, a church that's kingdom-minded. Um, what keeps us from doing that? What keeps us from being that kind of church? I, I said it last week, um, oftentimes it's our schedules. We just do so much stuff that we can't figure out how we're going to serve, how, how we're going to fit one more thing in to do. And, um, and I said last week, and I think that it's true, if that's the case, maybe we're just too busy. Maybe there are some things that we say, need to say no to so that we can say yes. One of the other obstacles is that, that we live in a world where there is so much access that it's like there's too many options. Already you're thinking, yeah, I, I want to serve, but where do I serve? Okay, you just talk about widows and orphans. I could do one of those two, but then there's like the human trafficking thing, um, and, and then there, there, there are legitimate kids that are orphans. There are kids that are in foster care. There, um, there's poverty issues. There, there are people that suffer from disabilities. What, how, there's all these things. There's addiction issues, and we've got, we've got Celebrate Recovery, but maybe God's calling me to do something more with, with people with addictions. What, how's it, there are so many things. How do I know how to respond? And that's the reality of the world that we live in. If you turn your phone on right now and, and, and turn to whatever place that you find news, you're going to find places that you can plug in. And, um, and sometimes we just don't know how to start. We don't know where to start. But part of this message is, is to try and give you some, some um, traction in that. Uh, 
I'm going to give you some, some, several things that you can do to try and figure out where God would have you serve. If you've got a pencil and paper, feel free to write these down in, in your program. Let these kind of guide your thoughts this week. The first thing is so simple that, that it's, it's like, no, duh, that this is like the church answer. And yet this is where it all starts. If you want to discern where God would have you serve, start by praying. Just make it a, a daily prayer. God, I don't know what it is you want me to do. Would you show me? And ask him to show you. And you know what? Some things will start to open up. He will begin to do that. Uh, so start, start with, with prayer. Uh, this next little bit, uh, um, I got the words from Andy Stanley, a preacher in Atlanta, and I think that they're great words. Um, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Everybody say that. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. One more time. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Sometimes we don't do stuff because it's, sometimes we don't say yes to things because we think, oh, if I say yes to that, that means I'm going to say yes to all these other things too. You know, if I say yes to the Cancer Society, then I need to say yes to the, to the ALS group and I need to say yes to the Heart Society. And, all. Um, and we think that because when we were kids and ask our parents to do something, what'd they say? If I say yes to you, then I have to say yes to Cindy, Vicki, Sherry, and Laura to do those things, right? And you know what the reality of that is? Kids, if you're in here, don't listen to this. That's not true. It's not really true. If you say yes to one kid, you don't have to say yes to all your other kids. My, um, we had a family wedding a few weeks ago, and I've got a nephew that um, lives in Idaho. The family wedding was in Cincinnati. Um, my dad wrestled with whether or not to pay for his grandson to come to this wedding. He and his wife have three kids. I said, Dad, you can do it. Everybody else is close. You've got the money. You, just because you do that for Chris doesn't mean that you can't do it. Or you, you have to do it for everybody else. So do for one what you wish you could do for everybody else. And that's a great maxim, parents, for how you interact with your kids. And for all of you who work, that's a great truth for how you interact with people at work, people that you interact in your neighborhood. You can't do everything for everyone. But if God leads you to do it for one person, do that. And now some principles that kind of help flesh that out. Uh, Go deep rather than wide. Our typical response when we start to say, okay, yeah, I'll say yes. I'll I'll say yes to that, is that we begin to say yes to a lot of things and rather than to say yes to one thing and really invest in that one thing. Go deep rather than wide. God can do amazing things through you when you pour yourself into one area of service, one ministry, and stop trying to do six or eight or ten. Go long-term rather than short-term. It's easy for us to say yes and to think, you know what, I can say yes to that because that's only a week commitment or that's only a month commitment or that may be four months. And you know what, I can manage that in my schedule. But then we're back to that whole deal of thinking about it being my schedule and stuff that I control. Go long-term rather than short-term. Think about investing in one thing and really committing to that and seeing what God does. 
Go time, not just money. Our immediate reaction when we start to think about serving is, you know what, it's a lot easier for me to write a $100 check than it is for me to really invest my time and my energy and my emotions into a ministry. Go time, not just money. Because when you invest your time, when you invest your time in other people, when you invest your time in kingdom stuff, when you invest your time in loving the community in the name of Jesus, your money will follow. When you see a need, and it's somebody that you care about, you'll say, you know what? I have some resources. I can do that. I was having a conversation with, my, with uh, one of my sons this week, my son Joe, who's 19. And he said, Dad, do you realize that if your family income, if our family income is more than $10,000, we're more wealthy than 84, 84% of the world. $10,000. You know, if you're making minimum wage, one person, that's more than $10,000 a year. If your family income is more than $50,000, you're wealthier than 99% of the people who live on the world at this time. We've got all kinds of resources. But time is what makes a difference in us and in others. Um, next principle is, is this. Just do something. Don't wait forever. Do something and start small and see how God opens doors from that. Um, listen to the Holy Spirit as, as you do something and, and just see what happens. Let me, let me give you a glimpse into my life and world, head and heart. Um, because th- this whole thing and trying to figure out where to serve, it, it really is all about listening to the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit and I have this ongoing conversation that happens pretty much every time I go to Walmart or Myers or Kroger. And it usually starts as I'm going through the checkout line and I'm pushing the cart. And I take the cart to my car and unload the stuff and the Holy Spirit says, you know, what, what are you going to do with that cart? Because the easiest thing is to put it on the island or the easiest thing is to push it over towards the little corral, the cart corral. And the Holy Spirit always says, you know what, you have a chance to love on the people who work at Walmart, who collect those carts, those guys that make $8 an hour, that have to go and find carts everywhere. You have the chance to make their life easier by taking like five seconds and pushing your cart over and putting it in the crowd. And so, okay, okay. So, you know, I push my cart over and get it there. And, you know, when you go in the cart corral, there's like 15 carts in the space that fill the whole space that if they were all in one place, 30 more carts could go there. So I push my cart there, and the Holy Spirit says, you know, you could put all of those, you could nestle all of those together. And I'm thinking, come on. But the Holy Spirit's persistent. And so I do that. And, and again, the conversation that happens as I'm walking away is, yeah, good, good job. You know, you did that. You, put, you nestled those all together. You're going to love on those people. There are five or six carts right around there that you could get too. Okay. 
So I grab the carts and put them in there. And you know what? What, what does that cost me? 20 seconds maybe? And will I ever see the end result of that? I won't at all. But I'm doing it. I really am doing it. Loving that boy or that girl, that young adult, that's going to go out there with that strap in the rain trying to collect all those carts. Trying to figure out where to serve is about listening to the Holy Spirit. It really is about doing something and then seeing where God leads you. Um, let me tell you about a friend. I've, I've got this friend named Erica Riscala that she was on staff with me uh, at, at a church in Northern Virginia. Um, her story was incredible. As a kid, um, her parents divorced, and when her parents divorced, her mom left her dad so that because she was in love with another woman. So they divorced, and now Erica has two moms, and in the process of that, um, her dad decided that he liked men rather than women as well. So this kid growing up has gone not from a mom and a dad and a mom and dad, but two moms and two dads. Pretty, pretty dysfunctional deal. As a teenager, she, was, uh, she medicated to try and deal with stuff, you know, did the whole party thing with, with um, alcohol and that kind of thing. As a young adult, she married a guy from another culture, which added uh, just another layer of stuff for her in, in her life. Had uh, two great kids, later had a, a, a two, she had two girls and later had a, a neat little boy. But um, she told me her story about how she came to Jesus, that God was working on her. She was being pulled to God. And she said that for four or five weeks, she drove to the church and sat in the parking lot in her car, chain smoking, because she was so nervous about coming into church. She was so afraid that people would know her story and reject her. She was so afraid that God would reject her. Anybody relate to that? For, for me, I grew up in the church. And I, you know, church is like second home kind of a deal. The fact that the idea that it, that it would be a scary place was completely foreign to me. Erica came to me. Ultimately, her first step was to get involved in children's ministry. She said yes to children's ministry, um, did some incredible things, eventually became part of the staff. But while she was children's minister, she said, can I talk to you? And, and so we set aside a couple of hours and we were talking and she said, God has something in store for me and I don't know what it is. And I don't know how to figure out what it is. And um, so this concept of, of doing something, starting small, listening to the Holy Spirit, I, I said, Erica, just pursue trying to be in the right place to hear God. And uh, she was leading a life group at that, that point in time. And in her life group, just a few weeks after that, somebody in her life group said, you know, I've got this bed that I don't want to trash. It's a good bed. It's a good mattress, a whole deal. But we got new stuff, and I don't want to throw it away. And Erica said, you know what? It's a life group. Why don't we just pray that God would lead somebody to have a need for a bed? And um, it was either that night or the next morning, Erica gets this call from a friend, completely unrelated, uh, a friend through the school system that says, you know, we're in desperate need of a bed. And Erica said, you know what? I think we can take care of that. And in the context of their life group, that began to happen on, on a, a kind of a regular basis to the point that Erica became known as the person with the stuff. You know, people would say, hey, I want to get rid of this. Do you know anybody who needs it? And Erica would just say, let me pray. And God's going to lead me to somebody that needs that. And that began to happen. Well, Erica began to collect stuff and had more stuff than she could fit in her house. And so she had a conversation with a guy. And he said, you know what? I've got warehouse space. You can put it in there. 
That ministry um, ultimately became a, a ministry that's, that's in three different states that um, at that particular church has 30 or 40 people that are involved. And what's incredibly cool is that the, that the, the government became known about it. Social services began to hear about this ministry that was called Spring. And social services called the church, called Erica, to say, we've got people who are coming out of homelessness. They're coming out of a shelter, and they're moving into transitional housing. Can you help them? Well, if you think about it, when somebody comes out of homelessness, what do they have? They got nothing. They, they, you know, they have maybe two or three changes of clothes, maybe some shampoo and, and that kind of stuff, but nothing. So for the county, the county would say, oh, we've got great housing for you. You know, we've got an apartment that you can move into. If you've got nothing, what do you do with that? And so Spring began to be the vehicle that social services, the Department of Social Services, would use to furnish apartments for people coming out of homelessness. Erica had, had, a, had a trailer that she would say, okay, we need a set of bunk beds and a bed for mom. Um, we need a table. We need kitchen utensils. We need a couple of lamps. And their team would just go and do that. And then they had a team that would go deliver it, that would love on people and say, we're doing this because of Jesus, because God loves you. Just a really incredible thing. That comes from starting small and listening to the Holy Spirit. What happens when we serve? What happens when we go deep instead of wide? What happens when we go long-term instead of short-term? What happens when we invest time and not just money? We change. God makes a difference in the world around us. God uses us to show his love and show his goodness. But ultimately, God dramatically changes us from the inside. Many of you know the story of the Tuies, of Sean and um, Leanne Tuie, uh, Michael Ower, the uh, um, tackle, offensive tackle for the Baltimore Ravens, um, the movie The Blind Side. A great movie, incredible story. Take a look at this clip from the movie. Does Michael get the family discount at Taco Bell? Because if he does, Sean's going to lose a few stores. <laughs> He's a good kid. Well, I say you make it official and just adopt him. <laughs> uh, he's going to be 18 in a few months. Doesn't really make much sense to legally adopt. Leanne, is this some sort of white guilt thing? What will your daddy say? Um, before or after he turns over in his grave? Daddy's been gone five years, Elaine. Make matters worse, you were at the funeral. Remember? You wore Chanel in that awful black hat. Look, here's the deal. I don't need y'all to approve my choices, all right? But I do ask that you respect them. You have no idea what this boy's been through, and if this is going to become some running diatribe, I can find an overpriced salad a lot closer to home. Leanne, I'm so sorry. We didn't intend to... No. We didn't, really. I think what you're doing is so great. To open up your home to him. And... Honey, you're changing that boy's life. No. He's changing mine. When we serve, when we invest in the name of Jesus and people around us, people who are hurting, when we become the hands and feet of Jesus, God does stuff in us that's incredible. 
we're, we're going to take an offering right now, the white bucket offering. It's a, it's a chance to respond. You know, I've said, go time, not just money. But money makes a difference, and money allows us to meet needs in a very specific kind of way. Uh, this white bucket offering will go to help meet the needs of people that maybe that lose their job, people that don't have stuff. It allows us as a church to be able to do that. So I encourage you, this is, you know, over and above, give generously. You guys come on down. Um, what kind of church do you want to be a part of? I, I've wrestled with that question a lot in coming to North Point. What kind of church do I want to be a part of? I, I want to be a part of a church that gives itself away. I don't want to be a part of a church that's internally focused. I want, to, I want to be a part of a church that's so aware and concerned of the world around it that we naturally, as a result of our relationship with Jesus, that we are the hands and feet of Jesus. I've got a friend named Alex that's a preacher at a church in Ohio. That um, His story's pretty cool. This, this church went through, it's a lot smaller, it was a church of about 300, and it went through um, a similar kind of situation to what North Point did last summer. Staff imploded, everything was ugly, money just vanished, dropped off the face of the earth, and, and the church was on the verge of closing. Um, church asked Alex to come in and serve as their, as their pastor, and Alex's situation was such that his wife had a really good job and he was able, able to be the pastor for free. Church didn't pay him anything. And in that context, as Alex served sacrificially, God began to do some really cool things. He said that they adopted as a leadership a, a, a phrase that governed who they wanted to be as a church. He said, as a church, we chose to be irresponsibly generous. Everything that they had, they were willing to give away because they were going to shut down anyway. So they just started giving stuff away. When they had a little bit of money, they gave it away. They made a commitment to give money that they didn't have, which was crazy, to be irresponsibly generous. What kind of church do you want to be a part of? I want to be part of a church that gives itself away. I've, I've got a dream that as a church, the, the whole third serve thing at North Point, man, when I read about that, I thought, that's incredible. I, I've got a dream that when we do third, third serve stuff, that we're not talking about 20 or 30 people doing it, that we're, that we're talking about five or 600 people going into DeWitt, going into Lansing, going into wherever, and being the hands and feet of Jesus to make a difference. Why do we do that? It's because Jesus modeled that for us. Jesus left everything. He left the glory of heaven. He left his place beside the Father and came to earth, which as wonderful as it is, pales in comparison to the glory of God. And Jesus on earth gave up everything for us. He poured himself out for us. He went to the cross for us. Why do we serve? Why do we give ourselves away? Because Jesus modeled it for us. We're going to share in the Lord's Supper right now. It's a chance for us collectively to remember 
to concentrate, to focus on the reality of Jesus' sacrifice. You guys go, go ahead and come on down. Um, here's what I'd like to do today. If you would, go ahead and hold the bread and hold the cup. And, um, and we're going to take those together as I read Scripture in, in just a little bit. Jesus did it all for us. Um, you know, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you've never made that commitment, it, know that it's okay to pass the tray on to the next people. Um, don't, don't feel like you have to, but, but um, if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to share in this time. I'm going to read some scripture in just a second, and, um, and we'll take the bread together, we'll take the cup together, then we'll respond. Just take some time and think about what Jesus did for you and how you can respond.